This is Bishop Michael Curry, and you're listening to The Way of Love. This season, we're bringing you even more conversations with faith leaders, authors, and thinkers who are committed to following the way of Jesus in the world today. Framed by the way of love, those seven practices of turning, learning, praying, worshiping, blessing, going, and resting, we'll hear stories and lessons about how each of us can grow closer to God in our daily lives. In this episode, I'm overjoyed to introduce you to an essayist, poet, and creative writing professor, Heather Kern Lanier, author of the memoir, Raising a Rare Girl, about the transformative lesson she learned in the first year of parenting a daughter born with a rare syndrome. There were gonna be people in in my life or my daughter's life who were gonna see her as as not good, as like not inherently good, because she didn't measure up to these different ways. And I think, I guess it just made me realize because I had the gift of like, of loving this child as a mother, as a parent, I got to like realize that we do that a lot to each other, you know, or it's like, here's our yardstick and you're not measuring up. To turn on the way of love means not being too attached to the way we think and the quick judgments we make about others and ourselves. It means staying open to another way of viewing our circumstances. Heather and I talk about finding that openness in the midst of life's hard moments and how practicing that perspective impacts not only our lives, but also those around, those we choose to embrace, inherent goodness, and demonstrate love through actions. Heather, welcome to Way of Love, and we would just love for you to just introduce yourself the way you want to. Okay, thanks. Well, thank you so much, Bishop Curry. It's so great to be talking with you this morning. Uh, yeah, my name is Heather Lanier. Um, and um, yes, I've, I've been, um, I'm a writer um, and I've been uh, a, a baptized Episcopalian for like 13 years. I got baptized late in life, uh, which was fun. I got to actually be a grown up um, in the process. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I think um, I've, the past several years I've been um, raising a child with a rare syndrome and, and writing about that. And um, I guess m- making sense of, uh, the way the world sees sees us sometimes, and the way I think um, the way uh-huh. I think God really sees us, you know. And so having my daughter um, helped me uh, helped me get a little glimpse into I think the deeper holiness and the sort of silly ways that I was measuring my own expectations about life and what we should achieve and things. Mm. For work, I'm I'm an assistant professor at Rowan University, so I teach creative writing there. Um, And uh, yeah, and I'm also the spouse of a priest, so I have the the really the really uh-huh. amazing gift of being able to come into the kitchen and with the Bible and say, "What is Jesus meeting here?" You know, and then getting the actual answer. Uh-huh. So it's like I get the perks of that. Did, oh, good. So our seminaries, can, our seminary professors can breathe easy. So <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He he's I he he does well to answer all of my complicated religious questions, and I so appreciate the in-house support. Oh. Oh, that's deep. But what what you you wrote a, a book, a remarkable book. I mean, you've written a lot of stuff, but your book, Raising a Rare Girl. 
is your story and Fiona's story and your family's story. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Yeah. yeah um, well, my my daughter Fiona. I have two children, uh, Fiona and Petra. Fiona is now they're all, they're both ginormous uh, now, and by that I mean they're uh-huh. like re- regular sized children. But um, but they uh-huh. uh, they grew a lot, it seems. But Fiona is nine and Petra seven, and Fiona was our first child, and she was born with this rare uh-huh. rare syndrome. And so um, you know, I, I often begin at the beginning because it was such a stark difference from the way that other mothers begin. So a lot of times. You know, there's the sort of like rush of joy and celebration in a delivery room. And um, and when Fiona was born, she was really, really tiny, which I didn't realize at all because because um, I didn't have my glasses on, really. And mm-hmm. I also just didn't realize like babies were really tiny to me. Uh, uh-huh. So they're just small. Yeah. But she was yeah. she was four pounds, 12 ounces, which is like uh, which is a weight that alarms people because it's under five pounds. Um, mm-hmm. So I got to know that like the really early on that I got to sort of experience what it was like for a person to come into this world in a world where we use a lot of yardsticks to determine like worth, you know? So for her, um, was like a typical baby should be between five and 10 pounds. And she was out of that. And so there was this, like this concern, like she's not in the measurement that we need her to be or that we expect. Uh Um, and then there was the the explanation that she, um, you know, she has this rare syndrome, which is a deletion on um, uh-huh. one of her chromosomes. And so she is really small as a result of that. And it also meant mm-hmm. that she would have developmental disabilities and and also some precarious health mm-hmm. concerns. And so in the book, I write about um, like the a lot about the first year, like the sort of the the experience of being her parent, the experience of being a parent to a child who falls outside of the like range of normal and then um, how to like sort of come to terms mm-hmm. with that and learn to learn to raise her in a way that just celebrates her wherever she is. How, how do you all as a family live through this journey? <laughs> uh, and by journey, you mean like the uh, global pandemic or? <laughs> well, yeah, that and yeah. I mean, how are you all living through that journey now? And the journey of your particular family. How, yeah. how do y'all do that? Yeah, well, um, uh, like, you know, it's been, we've been, it's it's kind of every, kids are always going through different stages. And so, um, you know, you keep having to adjust to like the stage that they're in. Um, yeah. And so early on, you know, it was a lot of like for, for Fiona and Petra, they were, um, they were young and kind of growing together a lot. So even though they're two years apart, uh-huh. um, you know, Petra was, uh, was one and a half and Fiona was three and a half. And I remember the day that I left the, we left, I left the church, um, that, uh, my husband was working at for Sunday and they, they weren't in, nobody was in my arms. You know, it was like the first time that I wasn't physically carrying uh-huh. anybody outside and everyone was like mobilizing yeah. on their own. And it took three and a half years. So for Fiona, she used a walker. Um, and it was, I took uh-huh. a photo of it as they were like, as they're descending down the church ramp together. Um, so, so a lot of times for the two of them, they've really like, they've been, you know, buddies in, in processing, just in growing. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's one way I've noticed that two of them just kind of continuously bonding even at their own different stages. So for Petra, you know, she's very aware that she's like, she's older, um, or she's younger, but bigger, you know, because Fiona is much smaller as a result of her syndrome. Yeah. So there's that. Um, so that's been kind of a, I've loved to watch Petra's like, um, her, 
level of connection and empathy with knowing that like people are different and um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there are, you know, we don't have to admit, we don't, there's the measurement of age doesn't determine the measurement of development and like the freedom that she has in that has been fun. Oh, that's remarkable. How do you, how do you, you, you write about in, in, in several places, um, you write about the world, the rest of us in the world learning um, how to actually receive each other as we are. Oh yeah. As opposed to judging each other as we think we're supposed to be. Yeah. And that's my language, not yours. You're, you're helping us. What are some of those experiences along the way? I mean, you talk about different doctors and, um, and the metrics, um, in fact, in one of the talks, I don't remember what, if it was in something you wrote or if it was in your TED talk. I can't remember. But yeah. you were talking about that you could tell the personalities of the doctors or the medical people by how they inter- interacted with you and your daughter. Did they smile and treat your daughter like a child, like they would a child? Or, yeah. or did they immediately go clinical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could tell pretty quickly, right? Yeah. I mean, the um, so early on, like there was, the, and I've, I've written about this, there's the 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 fact that, so we were in the hospital and, um, Fiona was born and we were like trying to get released, trying to, trying to get freed oh. from the hospital. Yeah. And then she was tiny. So they were concerned. So, um, so this one doctor came and oh. did an assessment and, um, and this is the doctor who was just really clinical, right? Like he just was looking at my baby, uh-huh. like, like, um, like what's what's not measuring up here what's the problem you know like that was the lens through which he was seeing this human being and I had just given birth to this human being so I was like there's a human being in the world now and this is an amazing thing and like um she's such Uh a you know she's such a gift and she's she's so dewy and adorable and uh, gorgeous Mm. and he was just looking at her from like a medical standpoint and he's and this is the person who said um well, you know, why is she so small? It's either that it's either the bad seed or the bad soil. Um, oh yeah. And I, and I think from there, it was just this stunning sense of uh, a competing sense of values that like mm-hmm. there were going to be people in, in my life or my daughter's life who were going to see her as, as not good, as like not inherently good um, because mm-hmm. she didn't measure up to in these different ways. And, and I think, I guess it just made me realize because I had the gift of like, of, of loving this child as a mother, as a parent. Um, I got yeah. to like realize that we do that a lot to each other, you know, or it's like, here's our yardstick and you're not yeah. measuring up. Um, so, so yeah. And then there, then, but then there were the amazing counter examples where we would go to a geneticist and Fiona was three months old and we went to this genetic resident actually. He, um, and he just, immediately was we knew that he was going to give us a diagnosis and we already knew what it was because a nurse had like revealed the uh, test results so we Uh, were we knew we were going to just get like info about what does this mean for our family and for lives um and you know he just immediately said like congratulations (laughs) um wow she's doing great look at her like just celebrating her as a a human being you know so I think I got to see like what that then felt like, what it feels like to have your life and your child's life affirmed and um, what it feels yeah. like to have it rejected. Um, and then to realize like, yeah, we could, I could be doing that more with other people. Oh. It's harder with people you don't, you know, you don't give birth to. It's harder to affirm yeah. their holy goodness. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah. when uh, So that's p- partly, I think, when I started realizing 
some of the ways that we we do that in our culture, like measure each other, evaluate. Yeah, and we really do. And it, now, this is this isn't going to seem directly related, but I have to. You're making me go there. Yeah, yeah, it's, I love it. You, you actually you, you saw Jesus actually doing that same thing that first doctor did. Mm. At least initially, Jesus yeah. um, looked and saw somebody blind. Said, "I got to fix you. I'm mm. going to make you see." Or somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At well, least that's what it looked like. Yeah, I do wonder about Jesus's many healings. I've written about that in the past. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I think. Well, but then you know, but then Jesus is always saying, like, "Don't go telling people about these healings, folks." You know. So I do sort of yeah. suspect that. I do think that Jesus, like, he's wary of our human. Our, our human understanding of God's glory. Like, I think he's wary uh-huh. of our sense of like, oh, um, we should all, like, if we're all just in able bodies and we're non-disabled and fixed, then that's the kingdom. And I think that's why Jesus is like, no, don't go telling, don't go telling people that I just allowed you to walk, like pick up your mat and walk, but sh- keep this on the DL. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. That's still, that's, that's still something that I chew on. And then I ask my husband, you know, like, why is Jesus healing everybody? Why can't, what's going on there? You remember what he said? You, you remember what he said at one point? No, I don't. What, what? You tell me. <laughs> what did he say? You, it's, it's in one of your writings. You said that, um, he said, well, the worldview of people at the time was not a division of body and soul, that it was all one unity. That, oh, yeah. That, and so healing, he didn't use this word. Healing is about what does wholeness look like in your life? Oh yeah. It's not about and 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 it was almost as though the physical healing was a way of of getting people to the deeper what does wholeness look like in your life? Yeah. Um I remember in seminary and I was in seminary a long time ago. I don't even know if you were born. This was in 1976 or so. Okay. Um Yeah, just 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 before me, just slightly I, before. <laughs> Yes. Okay. I, I, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the curse of aging, but anyway, I'm learning, <laughs> but, but I remember, um, I was a seminarian at, at uh, St. Paul's in New Haven, in fact, and, mm-hmm. um, they were getting ready to do a healing ministry. Okay. And they had, um, this priest come and I, I don't remember his name now to do kind of a healing teaching mission to help yeah. the congregation learn about healing. Um, and it was remarkable. And I don't remember all that he said. I, I don't, what I remember was he was born without hands mm-hmm. and he spoke about being healed mm-hmm. as someone mm-hmm. without hands. Yeah. And he framed healing is what does wholeness look like in your life? Oh yeah. And it was, it, it was like that, that has framed healing for me. Yeah. I love that. Right. Right. So then, so I think what I, um, and that's when, when you've got some kind one, your body is presenting in a way that doesn't look like wholeness to an ableist world, like, you know, someone without yeah. hands or someone without a chromosome. I love that language because wholeness doesn't have to look like um, symmetry, like, you know, like a bodily yeah. perfection or like physical, physical perfection. Um, wholeness can be found inside uh, like a variety of frames. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think then whole, I think for me, like wow. early on in the, in the year of, of trying to figure out how to be a mother to a child who a lot of people don't get the opportunity to parent. So I'm like, kind of, I'm, I'm outside yeah. the parenting books, you know, um, wholeness for her then looks like loving her fully, um, 
as she is, rather than trying to like come to her with an energy of like, how can we make sure we fix you in some way? You know, that I think wholeness, Yeah. I think other people are involved in helping making us whole, like in the love that we then give them as they are. Yeah. Wow. You're teaching us something that's really, it's, it's hard yeah, it, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're right. We have, we have cultural metrics that on the one hand are, it, on what on the good side are intended to serve a good end. You sure. figure out do we how do we help? Yeah, but yeah. Then right. on the other hand, they become judgments about a a person as a human being. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're well intended. I mean, that's something I mentioned in the book too. Is like the babies get judged, like they get um, graded pretty quickly, um, and then they're well intended grades, right? So the APGAR, and I found I found this out in the process of writing the book that the APGAR test, which is which is the the score that an infant gets in the like first minute and then the first three minutes of life, they get a score of zero to 10. And, you know, it's really, it's, it means well, like it's like they're trying to assess, yeah. you know, the health of the baby. But the, so originally I thought, well, it must be like a modern day um, perversion that, that we, that we might brag about a baby having like a top 10 score. Like that must be a modern day perversion of this well-meaning medical <laughs> medical move but in fact yeah. it's not like in fact the um virginia apgar who like created that her original rhetoric was around like co- competition like see how many babies you can get to be a top 10 like a, a score of 10 or 9 or something so there's um oh. there's just i think there's just that like in yeah there's an inherent um wow. those things get conflated like we mean well and we're trying to help people yeah. in their health and then we can complete that. We can conflate what that with like virtue and health isn't necessarily virtue. You know, you can be unhealthy uh-huh, uh-huh. and very virtuous. You know, one of the things I'm very, you, you're by you telling your story, um, Fiona, Petra's and your husband, all of you all story share. I mean, sharing that, I mean, um, and, and, and being open and vulnerable about that. Um, and sharing those experiences, you're helping a lot of people who are wrestling with the same thing and maybe in a variety of different ways. I'm just wondering, are there support groups or group? I mean, how do people get support who are struggling in, in similar ways? Um, are there groups? Um, yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think you're, you're right. Like a, it was support groups are super helpful, especially if you've got, if you're a member of a community where um, you've got something that's really rare. So this syndrome, uh-huh. Wolf-Hirschhorn syndrome is uh, one in 50,000 people. Um, yeah. But there's like, there's all different kinds of syndromes. And so then there's all different kinds of support groups. Um, and, and yeah, that, that, that becomes like a whole new, the first support group meeting that we ever went to, um, Actually, was uh-huh. actually had like a small gathering of people, but then we went to like a conference of people who had uh, parents or, or family members. I mean, with four P minus or with this syndrome, and it's so it's so great because you then create like a, your own normal because you're like a, among. Yeah. We were among all these people who whose children were also um, incredibly small, so no one would look at our kids and say, as they often did in the real world, um, "You're uh, like how old is she?" And I would tell people how old. Fiona was and they were always kind of shocked or there was like concerns because she's just very tiny like that's just how she's made Um, but here yeah in the support group you get to you get to be among people who who understand your reality and and that becomes normal you know the thing that that the rest of the world might feel disturbed by or uh, 
like ask questions about. It's just sort of like the, the regular way of being. So it brings great company, you know, to, to people. Ah. How do you react when your circumstances aren't what you hoped for? What are some truths you could tell yourself to help keep your perspective centered on what is the loving and life-giving thing? Now I've got to ask a selfish question. Yeah. It, it's a selfish question. Because see, you, you are, a, you're a teacher, you're a professor, yeah. you are. I mean, you're a writer and you're, you know, and all of that. But but you are a teacher at the depth. I mean, and part of what you're doing is teaching us to live a new way, to live ways that are genuinely human, maybe as God intended, mm. um, to drink, to live that. And I'm wondering, for those of us who preach, Oh. If you were going to teach a class on preaching, yeah, what would you? I'll give you a second to think about that one. But boy, yeah, what what do we who preach? Yeah, what would you teach us? Yeah, yeah. So just first of all, I mean, so my husband writes sermons pretty regularly, and I just wrote wow. a, like a I wrote a devotional recently. It was my first like stab at the devotional genre for Lent, huh. um, and it and it took me I don't know like fifteen hours to write this. Uh, 1500 word 1200 word thing and and I like afterwards I said to him I need to give you more time to write your sermons like we need to carve out more child care oh. hours because these are yeah. hard like it's hard to figure out yeah. how to, how to work it with is. so first I would just say like it is a different thing to write memoir and to write personal essay than it is to like to preach uh, the gospel. Just because I think that like I can be heretical in my essays and not st stress about it. Like I don't have to worry about, oh, I stumbled <laughs> into heresy. Um, so, yeah. you know, Actually, like I, I just... might sell more books. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, so, you know, I asked, I asked Justin later, my husband, you know, um, so just first, like the job of the preacher is, is hard. Um, so like hats off to folks who get up and stand and try to say something true and something that unpacks the gospel in a fresh way and not have to rely on like the canned words that we, that kind of become yeah. like, uh, dead to us, you know? Um, and those words mm -hmm. are really important, but like, um, they stop meaning things if we don't keep finding fresh ways to deliver them. Um, so, mm -hmm. whew, you know, I guess for me, that's one thing is I never want to offer somebody something that came easy. Um, so I always want to write something yes. that, that, uh, that I'm genuinely chewing on, like something that I'm wrestling uh -huh. with and something that means something to me. And then I want the, the essay or the memoir to arrive at an answer that I didn't know before I began. Um, before I began the writing process. And oh. so what I do is like I weave in um, my own stories. So sometimes it's like you kind of get all the raw uh -huh. material for the web of the essay. Uh -huh. uh, and it might be like a yeah. story and it might be um, a, some some scripture. It might be like a, someone else's understanding mm -hmm. of something or some research. And I kind of like get them all together uh -huh. in this web and then um, – use the different research and stories to unpack and explore a question that's really gnawing at me. Um, so I've done it before, like uh -huh. with the, with the essay about like, why does Jesus keep healing people? Is that an ableist thing to do? Um, 
So, yeah. And that's just the problem is for, I think for preachers is like, you guys have a week. Uh, and so what if you don't come up with that answer in the week? <laughs> that's tough. Yeah. And, and probably 10 minutes of attention span. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you've got that, like, yeah, that, um, that strict 10 minute sort of maybe 15 minute, uh, time limit yeah. in the Episcopal church. <laughs> you know, if you had, the oh, yeah, four, yeah. if you had the 40 minutes somewhere else, um, so I, so I, that's what I do. And I just, don't, I don't think that it's something you can always do every week because it's a lot of pressure. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. but ideally my best, my, my best writing is something that I come to genuinely not knowing the answer and wanting to figure it out. Um, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a communion between me and my heart and my head and, uh, God willing the Holy spirit. And that's when I know yeah, like yeah. when it all comes together and then I arrive at something that's bigger than I am, you know, so I know, I know that it's, um, yeah, it's the writing that I do is, is not just me, right? Like the work, the, the spirit yeah. is there. Um, yeah. and bring and that's what I want to do when I'm writing is commune with the spirit in some way. And then that's like a great writing high afterwards. Yeah. Wow. Oh man, this clip, we ought to just take this clip and cut this section and just cut it out and send it to seminaries. You just <laughs> gave you just gave an enormous gift to me as a preacher and I got a feeling a whole host of other folk. Well, I kid you, I kid you not. Thank you so much. I, I love oh your sermons, God. Bishop Curry. So oh, I'm surprised that I have God. anything to offer you, but they've been a great oh. source of like light for me in these oh, in this year. No, you're you I, well, you. I listened to your TED talk, or what, I don't know if you listened or watched. I was watching it. Yeah. But you, the TED talk that, that was that, was that a couple years ago? I'm yeah. Not sure. Yeah, it was 2017. It was also like the first time that we ever Justin and I got oh. away. <laughs> we had like a babysitter and we got away because we got to go to Italy wow. to do oh, it. Good. Yeah. Well, you, you you cracked something open at the very beginning. You told that parable or the the story parable. Mm. Good or bad, hard to say. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember it? Yeah. Um, so you have, when you do a TED Talk, you do actually memorize all that. and then um, Yeah, you have to memorize everything. But it's been a little while. The story is, um, it's a story I learned as an, so I was a religious studies student in college and studied a lot of Eastern religion. Uh-huh. Um, and the story was, um, was one that I learned in like a you know, Buddhism class, I think. Uh, and it's a story uh-huh. about... Um, like a farmer who, who let's, how does it go? Maybe you can help me put it together. Like the, the farmer oh, has a horse and is, is the it, horse was stuck in the mud or something. This, uh, <laughs> this is brilliant. Anyway, this, is like a game of, this is like a game of Zen story telephone. We're playing I know. right now. This is what it is. Here it is. I think, so uh, uh, it's like the horse, a bunch of horses show up to this farmer and, and then like his neighbors say, oh, how amazing that you just received all these. You just got all these horses. You're rich now. That's great. Oh, that's Good it. for you. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah. and then and then the farmer's son rides the horse and the horse is thrown. Uh, one of the horses throws the son off and he breaks his leg or he, he gets hurt in a way that like makes him um, disabled for yeah. forever. Um and then the, the neighbors all come over to him and say, oh, that's terrible. It was terrible that you got that horse because look, now your son's disabled. Um, and then there, a war breaks out and uh, like the armies come to the doors of people and look, recruit uh, able-bodied strapping young men. And uh-huh. they see the son and they say, oh, you know, never mind. We're not going to 
we're, we're not going to recruit you. And uh, it turns out like, actually, I think in the story, yeah. a significant number of people die in this war. Um, and so then the neighbors go, yeah. oh, how good that your son hurt himself because yeah. now he's still there with you. Um, and the, the farmer, every time people, what I, what I totally forgot was the punchline. Bishop Curry. Uh-huh. Every yeah. time you're doing all right. It's all right. Every time, every time the neighbors say something, you know that was good, that was bad, that was good, that was bad. The farmer just says good or the one in one translation is the farmer says good or bad, hard to say, good or bad, hard to say. So he just keeps holding this like levity and this um, this unwillingness to label the situation based yeah. on yeah based on our human understanding of what's good and bad. Do you remember what that said to you or what it says even now as we've sort of reconstructed it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. We've, I think we've done an okay job of, of telephone. Yeah, I think we're, we're pretty close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it was, it's still something that I, it's not like I walk around. So I gave that TED Talk. It's not like I walk around my life always saying good or bad, hard to say, good or bad, right. hard to say. Right. You know, like I have right. days that I would say, oh, that was a bad day or like, hey, I did a good yeah. job there. Um, but it says like that we can, we have the choice to stand in front of circumstances and hold their, hold our labels on them lightly, you know, and like not close down like a yeah. fist, not close down like a fist on what, yeah. what it means yet or what it, what it, what it really means at all from our human limited vantage point and like simply kind of open yeah to the experience. Now, again, like I'm not a Zen teacher and I don't, it's not like I live this, but I found that really encouraging and helpful, uh, particularly, and I talk in the TED talk in raising Fiona, that the world, you know, literally the doctor said like, this is bad. And, and it was a baby. Mm -hmm. It was a baby. It was my baby. And it, you know, so this like openness to, um, openness to the situation in this case for the situation it would be her syndrome like just it doesn't have to be good or bad like we can just ride yeah. this syndrome and see what happens but i also you know i take like what's missing in that story i guess is like i love i love the first book of genesis because god mm-hmm. beholds all these things and says like ah oh, good good you know like inherently yeah. inherently yeah. we can be good um Situations yeah. and circumstances, we can be open to them, and and calling them bad or good, I think, kind of just narrows things down sometimes too quickly. And that's not to yeah. like give people. Uh, I don't mean to take people's permission away from like just raging against awful circumstances, you know. Sure. Um, but sometimes I just found it really helpful in in that first year of Fiona's life, and kept coming back to it again and again. It's it's almost it is the and it, I mean it's got I mean I don't know the origin of it uh, yeah. but it yeah. it smells um, it has has that smell of 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 Eastern teaching Buddhism yeah. but but even in Christianity of the notion of traveling light you know Jesus saying just take what you need for the journey just take your sandal and your stick and call it a day just yeah. don't don't be too attached to the way you think things are supposed to be the and you know, and there, yeah. there's wisdom in that. Um, yeah, I'm always like, I'm always tickled and delighted, and I feel for the disciples when Jesus like says, "Hey, what are you guys talking about?" And they're like, "Oh, nothing, Jesus." And it was really what they were talking about was like, who was going to be greater? You know, like which of the yeah. disciples was greater? Um, and what they don't realize is like what's ahead of them. 
Um, but I, I, mm. I, I find that, I find that helpful because I think I'm, it just like strikes at my own sense of like, I'm trying to be trying to do a good job here, trying to be, you know, trying yeah. to be great at stuff. Um, and Jesus looks at them and he's like, Oh no, Oh no, brothers. You, t- yeah. Yeah. you don't know, yeah. you don't know what I'm in for. First of all, That's right. um, That's right. you got to learn to chill. <laughs> <laughs> or, or oh. I also love, I also love when Peter's like, you know, sees, sees Jesus and um, what is it, like Moses and Elijah, right? At the mountain. Yeah, oh yeah. He's, uh-huh. he's like, we should build temples here. We need to build great things here. Um, yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. Uh, and then the cloud comes over them and, and God says like, listen to my son. Yes. Um, I can't, I can't, there are all these times I wonder, I mean, I'm sure that Jesus didn't say this, but I've got a sermon I've never preached and probably never will entitled. Mm. It's a good thing I'm not God, but um uh, <laughs> Because I haven't figured out how to preach it yet, but but one of the that's one of those moments where I would say, "Oh man, we could build a really nice church here, and we can honor Moses and whatever." <laughs> you know, I can think of all the plaques that we'll give, and we can have one for you know Elijah and one for you. This is like great. And these have got to be moments where Jesus says, "I'm going to die for this." I mean, really, <laughs> <Is> this- <laughs> I'm going to die for architecture. Yeah, <laughs> this is what it's about. <laughs> you know. <laughs> You, I, you, I, I hope a lot of people will hear this this broadcast, and I hope more people will be introduced to you, um, to you and Fiona and your family, um, and to your story, be, because you're sharing um, a deeper wisdom about how to live. Well, thank you. Well, um, I appreciate that. And Heather, that's an enormous gift. Um, that is an enormous gift. And I'm just wondering if you got the pulpit. Oh. And if you had a chance to say to everybody who listens to this podcast, what would you say? Oh, man, Bishop Curry, that is a big question. <laughs> At least as a parent. Like, yeah. I feel like um, I thought love was a feeling, you know, a lot of times early on in life. Uh-huh. Like, oh, you, I love someone because I feel this love for them. And parenting made me realize that love was that like daily work of showing up again and again, like the action. Um, It's not like I loved like changing the diaper or like waking up every hour for the child um, who is crying. And I think that that I guess we can extend that. Right. Like love doesn't always have to feel initially when we're driven to it like um amazing gushy elation it can just be like the showing up uh, because that's the work to do and it can feel particularly like in a pandemic it can feel tedious and boring and uh like there's no variety you know and like in like um in activism work i imagine there's like there's fatigue and there's uh there's like the just the dailiness of like making the calls to make sure everyone knows where to show up Mm -hmm. or send in the email or whatever um and then i think it's okay too when love just feels like that too when love just feels like just daily showing up um and for me then sometimes sometimes then i get the like grace of uh actually feeling the genuine squishy, mm. delightful, elated love inside those moments sometimes. 
and I don't know how to make them. And I think I probably don't. I think they're given like where all of a sudden the whole family, the, all the kids, the kids and you burst into laughter because something, <laughs> yeah. something is hilarious yeah. about what you're doing, you know, right. or all of a sudden there's just gentleness with a temper tantrum or whatever it is. So I think sometimes uh-huh. it just, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think. That's what I, that's what the spirit's uh-huh. given me to say right now. It might not be very impressive, but that's all I got. It's it's more than impressive. It's awesome. Thanks. As thank are you. you, my sister. Oh, thank you As so much, Curry. It's an honor and, to talk to you. Oh, no, the honor is mine, really. Thanks. You, I, I just, I just thank God for you, and I want everybody to go out raising a rare girl. Um, get you can get it at your local independent bookstore. Yeah, you can get it at the other ones too. But but go out and get it because it's worth the read. And if you want to get a warm up, go see that TED talk. Oh, um, thanks. There's good a or bad. There's, it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah. There's a um, there's a bookshop here um, called um, uh, Words Matter in New Jersey, and if you buy a copy here, um, I will sign it, and the owner will mail it to you. So, Words Matter. Oh, God, love you. Thank you for this and all you're doing, and blessings on you, your family. Uh, just God keep holding y'all in his hands. And Thank you. Um, yeah, everybody and needs it. And we all need it. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's a crazy world, yeah. but it's the one we got. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> all right, God love you. And God love you, everybody. Well, thank you for being with us today for another episode of The Way of Love. If you'd like to learn more about Heather Kern Lanier, visit her website at heatherlanierwriter.com. To find out more about the work of turning and centering your life on the words of Jesus, see our show notes for a link to an episode of Traveling the Way of Love. And as always, you can learn more about the way of love, including how to create your own personal rule of life at episcopalchurch.org. Thanks this week to Heather Kern Lanier, Nancy Davidge, Jerusalem Greer, Chris Sykema, Jeremy Tackett, Scott Van Pletzenrands. I'm Michael Curry, and I'll see you next time on The Way of Love. God love you. <laughs>